Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 632, with Nick Marsh. I often say, like, when you're opening your first restaurant, you gotta you gotta convince the landlord that you got the money and you got the team. You gotta convince the investors that you've got a space and you got the team, and you gotta convince the team that you got the money and the space, right? And you don't actually have any of those three things. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. It doesn't get easier than Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use. With cloud-based access from any device, 24-7 customer support, and a lifetime access to Cake University, how could you not love Cake? To learn more about Cake point of sale, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener, you will save $750 off activation. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Stoppable. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable everybody loves payday am i right but loving your payroll provider that's a different story it's a little weird still small businesses across the country love running payroll with gusto gusto automatically files and pays your taxes it's super easy to use and you can add benefits and hr support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe it's loyal it's modern and who knows you might even fall in love to learn more head over to gusto.com slash un Unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce <laughs> to you today's guest, Nick Marsh. My man, Nick, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, I, yes, I am feeling unstoppable today. Yes, that is what we like <laughs> to hear. Graduate of Princeton University, Nick March, or Nick Marsh opened <laughs> his, his first food and beverage operation, uh, Zando Coffee and Bar, in 1994 with four friends and his brother. Ten years later, he parted ways and stumbled on Chopped, a quick service restaurant that was going into its fourth year and looking to expand. Fast forward 15 years later in Marsh is now serves as Chops CEO. In addition, Marsh has also served as director and in some instances investor for Mendocino Farms, Dos Toros, Taqueria, Quiznos, and Boloco. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So uh, I, I, I craft this, and this is sort of my favorite entrepreneurial thought, even though it's going a little, if you, I'm going to go a little old school, like really old school on you, if you don't mind. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a poem by Rudyard Kipling. Okay. Uh, and and a one line is, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, today maybe say when all others doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. And whenever I talk to somebody who's trying to get something going or believes they have the idea that is like the idea that they're going to roll with, what I always try to talk about is like, 
you got to believe in where you're going. You got to have like a firm and you got to have a vivid belief that you see a future that everybody else just doesn't see yet. Because any good entrepreneurial venture is going to have a bunch of naysayers, people saying, no, no, that's a terrible idea. It's never going to work. So you got to see something that they're not seeing. But if you're smart, you're going to listen a little bit. Yeah. You're going to think about what they're knocking you on and you're going to make sure you got a good answer for that also. You got to believe in it. If you don't believe in it, nobody else is going to believe in it. And that, that, that belief is, uh, it, it transfers, right? The word I'm looking for, what happens when you catch a goal? Cold. What's that mm-hmm. called? It's a, uh, there's a word for it. It's, it's <laughs> not in my head, but it, it, it transfers. You're literally, you can transfer energy. You can transfer beliefs. 100%. And I think the other, I love that you mentioned that you, you, you have to be receptive to what other people say. Cause you're not going to be re- an expert in everything. Yep. So you got to know your lane. You got to know what your vision is, but you also have to be willing to take that. Yeah, don't get cocky. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start today's conversation? Uh, when did you, know that this was going to be your path uh so so that's funny i I, um my general view of my own career is oddly um uh just sort of take what happens next so somebody said to me not 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 that long ago like you know how how long did you know you were going to be in the in the restaurant industry and i was like i guess i'm in the restaurant industry (laughs) (laughs) it seems like that's how this has played out but i certainly enjoy having some level of creativity and nimbleness and belief that i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen next that i you know i think and and certainly in today's day and age that's a pretty good approach to things because the world is changing pretty fast so you graduate from uh uh, princeton in 1990 and you open in 1994 your first location what was going on in that four years before uh, so I had a, uh, uh, I had a couple jobs that my mother was happier about than starting a restaurant business with my brother. Okay. Um, did some banking, okay. um, did some consulting and stuff like that. And, what were uh, consulting on? I did uh, so oddly enough, I did management consulting, which is where they actually pay you as a 22 year old to pretend, you know, things, which you <laughs> mostly don't actually know. And, um, uh, but which was awesome. Um, but uh, most of what I learned in my first few jobs was that long term I was going to be unemployable because I did not really want to listen to anybody too much. Um, and uh, but I did learn how to like get up and get dressed and go to work in the morning. So those that that was my main most valuable skill. So what did you study at Princeton? I'm just curious. Uh, I studied ancient history. Ancient history. Yeah. All right. So that helps. You know, I, right now my partners are chuckling at my use of the word ancient because that's how they often refer to so me. There's so much to be learned from history, <laughs> though. Like I, when I was younger, I, I had no interest in history, but all of a sudden in my 30s, I'm taking this newfound interest in history. I think there's a lot of value there. I mean, do you do you reflect back to any of the lessons you learned studying ancient culture and societies and old trends that happened in the past that you know re reemerge? Anything like I that? I think to go back to something you said in opening about you know sort of transferring energy and whatnot. I think how I actually got interested. Similar to, unfortunately, many things in my career, I, I ended up uh, studying not because I had like a super duper plan that that was what I was going to do, but I took one class on a teacher that was primarily about Alexander the Great. And either the professor was awesome or the subject matter was just so interesting. And this whole, you know, if you think about what Alexander the Great did, which was he basically decided he was going to conquer the world, right? right? Like that's, there's a vision there. Right. That counts as a vision. Um and uh, uh, it was just, that was sort of super captivating to me. So I took another class and next thing you knew, I, I was an ancient history major. So how do you go from ancient history <laughs> major to managing, in, in, uh, a, con- yeah. a managing consultant? How did yeah. you make that jump? Um, the, uh, one of my, uh, yeah, so there's a, su- it's a super important lesson. I would, I would uh, coach anybody who's applying for either a management consulting job or any job is um, 
if your roommate already works at that company and he's one of the people doing the interviewing, then that's probably that you got you got a leg up. Because <laughs> uh, I was I did not have a job when I graduated from college. Uh, it took me a bunch of time, sort of trying to figure out what it was I was going to do. And after being mostly unsuccessful at trying to figure that out for a while, I applied to the company where my roommate had been smart enough to get a job I mean, before he graduated. Couldn't have been a dummy. Princeton's not an easy <laughs> school to get into. So there must have been some, some smarts kicking around in that head of yours uh, early on, I'm sure. But really what I'm trying to do right now is just to get at what sets you up for success in the industry. Any previous experiences? Uh, do you think any time between graduating, working, and then opening your own restaurant, you learned a thing or two that would set you up for success in your first business? Yeah. I mean, if I had to give you like three things, I think there was a level of creativity that certainly came in thinking and writing about topics that you didn't know anything about. I think that communication, right? And understanding how you transfer ideas has become super important because yeah, as an entrepreneur, you're basically coming out of the gate trying to convince a bunch of people of stuff that is mostly unlikely to happen, right? I, I, I often say like when you're opening your first restaurant, you got to, you got to convince the landlord that you got the money and you got the team. You got to convince the investors that you've got a space and you got the team and you got to convince the team that you got the money and the space, right? And you don't actually have any of those three things. And so it's a little bit of a, of a circle trying to make it all happen at the same time. And so I, I do think that, you know, being comfortable with, with, uh, exploring new ideas, I think the idea, uh, you know, the, the efforts to communicate and, convince people of things when they're really just coming together. I think that, I think that stuff, you know, do I think it's specific to my major? No. Do I think it is, you know, the, 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 uh, do I think that the, the overall educational process was important to that? Sure. I think just being in a position to, to, to consult on management and operations while, you know, yeah. it gives you an idea of what to expect when you're getting in it. Just, just having the conversations, right. Yeah. And becoming aware of what the, things you might experience through the troubles and in, in difficulties of other people you might be speaking with. So management consulting was, was interesting because, right, I was very low level. I was, you know, an analyst at this firm and you would work in these big companies and the partners would be mostly dealing with the more senior level people. And our job, my job at the time was to go and really work with a lot of the line folks and understand what they were doing, usually collecting information, collecting data. And I think that probably if there's anything I learned from that was how swiftly a disconnect can develop between the senior management of a company and the uh, and the team who who are responsible for executing on different parts of the plan. So I want to start diving into um, the the formation of your first company. Uh, just getting into that now, uh, Zandos. I'm saying that correctly. You are Zando. saying correctly. Yes. <laughs> um, so. W- before we start breaking that down and really finding out how you pulled it off and how you, you and your friends and your brother came together to do yeah. this, where was that company in, in uh, was it 2004? It was 1994. No, when you, when you left, when you departed. Uh, it was two, yeah, around 2003 two, 10 years yeah. right, you spent there. Where, where did you build that company before departing? Where, like, to give us the big picture. So the company was founded in Hartford, Connecticut, okay. which is where I was working at my previous job. Um, um, it is uh, okay. So, I worked for one year in Chicago. That was like in the, that was like nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety one. Chicago, I'll take you way back in time. Was the first market that Starbucks went to after Seattle. Wow. Okay, so I'm dating myself <laughs> a little bit there, yeah. right? Um, but so here I am. I'm living in Chicago, and they opened this coffee bar on my block, and I was like, "This is the greatest thing of all time!" Like I was so excited. I went every day. I like I tried all the different coffees. Like it was, it was, um, it was. Uh, very clearly, like I, I thought it was genius, and I immediately w- became entranced with the coffee business. And so that was sort of, that sort of seed was planted, and I left Chicago, and then I ended up I was in Hartford, Connecticut, 
I was sort of trying to figure out and then, and then uh, sort of trying to figure out my next move. A bunch of my friends were going back to business school. And I took a trip. I went to uh, 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 one of my roommates was in Paris, right? So we're moving all we're moving all over the globe for inspiration now. Um, and uh, this is a true story. We were at a nightclub in Paris, um, and there was a big bar on one side, and over on the other side there was an espresso machine. And I was like, "Oh my God, that's the idea! You put the espresso machine and the booze together in the same place." And so. Zando was, we called it, it was, an, it was an American version of a European cafe. And it was the idea that you could have this authentic, and really, we really saw Starbucks as a guide in the early day for, for their emphasis on product quality, which amazingly, I think they've maintained to this day. Yeah. Um, and so we studied and we intently wanted to have the best coffee. But then from an environment standpoint, before coffee bars all sort of became this many years later... Um, we would at night open up, we had these big like garage doors. We would open like a bar and then it was like a cafe setting and people could eat a little bit of food and have a drink and whatnot. That was the idea. So where did you scale that business to at the time you departed? Like how many locations were there? I think there were a few that I saw when in my research. Yes. So that started. So, so far it sounds good, right? Yeah. Okay. So this, after that we did everything wrong. (laughs) Well, I just want to paint the picture of, of like, did it ever scale to multiple oh, yeah, locations? we built about, we built, I think, I think we had 24 of them. Okay. We built, uh, we, we, the, the first location was great. We opened in we, Hartford, a couple more in Connecticut. We opened Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and New York City. We had 24 restaurants, and that was in like three years, maybe. Like, okay. we opened them fast. 24 restaurants in three yeah. years. Okay, that's... Wow, that is uh, that's a, that's an accomplishment. Um, but many people would say that that's not an accomplishment because we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. um, so we painted the picture as far as how where you built that thing from 2000, so from 1994 to 2004, what it looked like when you departed. Now, now take us through the motions of okay, like you have the vision, you have the concept. This is what we want to do. Take us through what that looked like. So I, I think that. Um, uh, at the time, we had a tremendous. What was great was we had a tremendous amount of passion for the product and for what we were doing, right? And I think that that um, was a pretty important building block. That uh, and 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 from sort of positive lessons that I think I've brought forward, the focus when you are making sure that your product is the best, I think is is uh, important leg of the stool. The second thing, which is very hard to capture and replicate, is just that early entrepreneurial team when the founders are so fired up about what they're doing and then each you know the people that you hire and you know the 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 folks that come on the team um have a level of inspiration about the vision and the dream that is that is you know that is something that you know to this day now i I work really hard to to replicate so i think we had a couple of really um great legs on the school for legs on the stool for what the concept could be like and then you move into the two very, very, very different parts of the business, which is the concept versus the execution of the growth. And in the execution of the growth, now you move into a whole world of experiences that are not necessarily entrepreneurial helpful, right? Like how fast do you want to grow? Yeah, 24 stores in three years sounds great, except for the people who actually so, have Yeah, to except for the reality them. of the situation where yeah. you don't know any of these people that you're, you're totally. throwing into your businesses. Uh, you, you don't scale culture that fast unless you have no. some kind of cult like triggering that happens where everybody's like, you know, you're sourcing people who have the same exact values and everything really hard. That's hard to do really hard. Um, so 
take us through that that part that, that I mean I'm, I'm assuming the the first location must have had you know sticking power I mean, because that yeah, was awesome yeah so um, and you also said you were you were passionate but you didn't say what you were passionate about what what was you said it was the passion that helped you execute this what exactly were you guys passionate about so I I really felt that um, the experience of a a coffee bar being you know and, and this is i think an idea that maybe sounds trite today but at the time you know again at the time starbucks was doing 85 percent of their business before 11 o'clock in the morning selling drip coffee there were no frappuccinos right there were there mm-hmm. they were they were not selling lattes in the afternoon and whatnot it was a morning coffee business really and so creating this space that was actually a place that people felt good to to come and it wasn't just about having the coffee but it was about drinking the coffee there um it was an experience, and, and we were in Hartford, Connecticut, which was a city um, that had suffered through a you know difficult economic downturn. So it was it was like a city that was trying to feel, like get back on its feet again, and we put this pretty cool place right in the middle of it um, that I think somehow the you know all those different pieces came together in a way that that was easy to be passionate about. So you're you're opening the first location. Let's focus on what you did right because obviously that first location there was something of significance going on there. What did you do right? Um, we served the best coffee in town. Period. And we, it was even better than Starbucks and I don't say that lightly because again I have a lot of respect for that company but it was it was because we were all the people who started the company were there every day making sure it was the best. And, and I think when you think about uh, a business, whether it's a big business or a small business, you got to think about what's the foundation that you're building it on. We talk about that at Chopped all the time. And, um, and so the foundation, you know, before you get to experience and before you get to brand, and before you get to, I think, some of the very, very important pieces that you layer on top you got to have the foundation. So our, our, our foundation was for sure around the, the product. And I think it was the best. And it was also sort of this creative combination that was unique. How did you go from Starbucks customer who really likes the product to being the best in a town? Like, how did you get that experience? Is, was it partners that you brought on? Was that one of your friends maybe? Like, how did you have that? How did you fill that, that role? We did a whole bunch of research around the product. We found a coffee roaster who was big enough that they had the capability to, uh, you know, service us effectively, but they were small enough, but they were willing to work with us. Um, you know, coffee roasting and and coffee brewing is a science. Um, it requires a level of discipline and it requires a level of precision that if you take the time and care to do it right, um, you know, you can, you can end up with a, with a better output. Uh, and so we put in, we put in a lot of time. We found the right people to help us. We found people who knew more than we did for sure. Um, and then once we kind of figured out the recipe, we, we, uh, stayed on top of it maniacally. Uh, so I'm curious about partnerships. We haven't really gotten into your partnerships yet. Uh, did you have all you, your brother and four friends, five partners, right? Uh-huh. Uh, right. Four friends or three friends, six partners, three friends, three friends. So five partners, one location. Uh-huh. Um, what are your thoughts on that today? So, um, it's a good question. Here's what here's what I think. I think that there is uh, over time there's been a um, when you read like you, you you read your your average fast company or Inc article right about the entrepreneur and the entrepreneurial visionary. I think that it is sometimes a better story to talk about an individual as having like the one burning vision. I think that the 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 model of the future and this is certainly something that we embrace at Chopped also. It's more about a team. It's a team of individuals, and it's a team of entrepreneurs. And I think that that, um, I think that that, 
um, plays better, or I think that that's more effective for two reasons. Um, one of which is just purely mechanics. It's hard doing this. You want to start a restaurant? It's hard, yeah. right? You're going to feel bad a lot of days, right? Most days, uh, uh, more days you will wake up with reasons to quit than reasons to keep going. And uh, having being a part of a team and having a team, like somebody's always up when the other guy's down, right? And so having somebody to carry the ball when you need you know, a little push or being able to carry the ball for somebody else or push, I think uh, is, is, um, helps you get through a lot of those days when people want to quit. I, I agree 100%. And maybe I, I was setting you up for that question, but <laughs> I, I honestly believe in partnerships. I think that to be competitive in today's market, uh, to really stand out, especially in a city like New York, uh, where you have to be good at so many things to really be competitive, you can't do it by yourself. Yep. And nobody's going to show up harder than you're going to show up unless they have skin in the game, right? Yep. So I, I believe in all those things. And I, I, I love the, especially when it, you're going to burn out eventually if you do it by yourself. So having that other person to lean on to give you a break to go spend time with your family if you have one or just totally. to self-care or whatever, it's so important. And, what, and what, what you just said I think is important also, right? Like, sure, you're going to get these generational geniuses who might just visualize what people want, right, and always have the correct creative answer or the right level of innovation. The world we live in today, there's, you have to move so fast, right? You need to respond to so many different inputs and challenges and be thoughtful about different trends and whatnot. Um, I, I think that you are in a healthier place and you are in a place where you are more likely to come up with a better answer if you have a group of people who can effectively challenge each other, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a couple folks, right? It, 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 again, you know, not to bounce around on you, but Tony Schur and Colin McCabe, who are the founders of Chopped, right? Like we started in a place... And I joined those guys when they had two restaurants. There, there, there was no one right answer, right? Like we very quickly moved to a place where there was there was a, a, a healthy level of debate on things that uh, we wanted to do. And I think that, you know, in a business where early stage restaurants, you can't really afford to make too many mistakes. Um, it's it's good if you've got a, a, a group of folks, you know, or a team of, of people that you respect and you appreciate their ideas, but you can kind of bounce, you can, you can, you can bounce ideas around with. I love it. I love it. So we're going to get into chop, by the way, don't you worry. We're going to spend a plenty of time there, but I want to, sorry, um, you are, you are taking me back, right? I know, you realize I know, like I got to go I'll, back and there's, there. I mean, behind every great <laughs> restaurant is great people, right? And we got I'm trying to get at the foundation of what yeah. got you to the point where you were such a con- contribution to chopped. Yeah. So, uh, we focus now on the, the things you did right with, uh, the coffee shop. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I'm struggling with the name. Exand- Exand- so it's funny. <laughs> By the way, I'll, I'll tell you why you're having trouble with the name. And it's funny. When the, when the branding people showed us the name Zando, it was X-A-N-D-O, Zando. And they literally, the, the storyline was they were like, oh, you know, it's cool. It's people won't know how to say it. It could either be Zando's or X's and O's. And like X's and O's, kisses oh, right. and O's. And I so that's like kind of, that's kind of cute. Right? <laughs> Until... Uh, we were about like three years in and we had, uh, we had restaurants in Connecticut. We had restaurants in Philly and I was just, I was meeting with an investor and I was like, yeah, da, 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 it's X's and O's. It was, I'm sorry. It's, I'm getting confused. It's <laughs> and he was like, well, this is never going to work. You know, we realized there's confusing. somebody who's already, no, he's, there's already somebody doing this in DC called X's and O's. And like, 
he was actually talking about our restaurants. And it was at that moment I was like, yeah. okay, no one has any idea what our name is. <laughs> so that's not going to help from a branding. So I think the lesson there is um, it has to be, I mean, there can't be any confusion around the branding, right? It has to be something that imprints and sticks. And pe- how are you going to talk about something when you're, everybody's talking about a different thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you want me to tell you what went wrong at, uh, at Zando that we that I learned from well, that I, I, paved the way? Yeah, so that's kind of where I was going to transition transition to next. We I like to spend the time talking about the good things that happened yep. that you learned, but now knowing what you know now with the experience you have now, uh, reflecting back at that time, what did you do wrong with Zando's? Before, and then we'll dive right into Chopped and how that opportunity came about. No, no it, it's it, so. Um, I think that, uh, what I learned in the, my first go around in this business for sure, right. Is, um, a, a, a few, a few different things and I'll, 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 I'll sort of sum them up at the end for you. Right. But like, you're only as good as your last restaurant, right? You, you, um, you could have, you could have two, three, four great successes, but, um, in the, in the early days in this business is extraordinarily capital intensive. Right, it's going to cost you a half million bucks or more, million bucks, depending on what you're building. Right, to build a restaurant, it's it's extraordinarily people intensive. Right, so you got to get the right people. Like you're only as good as the people who are there serving your coffee and serving your customers every day. Right, um, and um, and as you grow, right, the the discipline that you need to transfer that information to people. It, it, it can't really be accelerated to the point you made before, right? Like if you want people to understand what's important, if you want them to have the passion, if you want them to make good decisions, you can, you know, you, 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 um, it's not like printing software. You don't get to that moment where you just get to hit the button and all of a sudden everything comes out. Humans right? are complex. Right? Humans are complex. <laughs> yeah. So I think that we ignored a lot of those realities, right? So I think we, um, we built restaurants too fast. Um, I've always reflected on that. Um, I think we thought we could hire the answers. So we, you know, we had raised a bunch of money. And so we were hiring very senior level people from a bunch of different organizations thinking that they would just sort of plug in seamlessly. And that's not how that works um, either. Um, and I think that uh, we, uh, I, I joke sometimes we had some venture capital investors and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a mantra, which is, oh, you have to hire ahead of the curve, right? So that's great if you actually have any idea what you're doing and you know what's on the other side of the curve, right? Yeah. But if you don't know what's on the other side of the curve, you're just hiring people. Yep. So now you're just spending money. Um, and, uh, you know, again, at the end of the day, we are in these businesses. Ultimately, someone would like to earn a return on their money. Yeah. Um, and so understanding the use of capital and how that impacts your strategy um, was something that I think that we did wrong that I spent a whole bunch of time thinking about how you could, you could do better. Um, in a different situation. I'm writing that down because I want to dive into it. Understanding the use of capital. You know, how did you finish that sentence? Because it was a good one. I'll come back to it. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> we'll come back to it somehow. Um, so th- I want to dissect that a little bit. I think what I'm pulling from this conversation up to this point to summarize, it seems like you you were inspired by Starbucks mm-hmm. really early on. 100%. Um, and they were they are one company that has one of the few companies that exist to this day that was able to scale at such an outstanding rate and pull it off. Yes. But what people don't realize is that Starbucks didn't start in 1991 okay. starbucks started in like 1970 or something right. right so they had 20 years to figure out who the heck they were what their values were what their what their vision was what their what their uh, mission all these things the things like the culture stuff right the core values all that right. stuff and they had a cult-like following right yes and they were they they had that and then and they they had it all established and then, mm-hmm. then once they had it like you know 
dialed in, that's when they started recreating. Mm-hmm. Um, is it safe that you maybe missed that? It sounds like you missed that, that element of having that all the, 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 the brand, the, the culture, the people dialed in and you just started copying just the framework of the business without the soul. I think we had it. I think we thought we had it. Right. But I think that it comes down to sort of the depth of the foundation. Mm-hmm. Right. And like how strong is the foundation? And when you get when you grow that fast, that quickly in that many places, yes. then the level of dilution that you're going to get is is pretty rapid. So there's a saying that I love. I say it all the time. I'm not sure where I heard it or if it's even a catchatory original, but the goal should be to grow your people before you grow your business. Mm-hmm. And when there's no more room for your people, that's the cue to grow the next business because you, mm-hmm. you need to put them someplace. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. your foundation. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that statement? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that. Um, Yes, in short, I absolutely agree with that. I think that um, so somebody uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but here here's what I uh, I have a quote. I, I sometimes I tell people I, I look I, I watch out for stuff CEOs say, right? And it's like stuff <laughs> CEOs say. You, you you if you sit down with any CEO of any restaurant business, probably retail business, probably yeah. almost anybody, they you would get and you ask them about their people, you would probably get something like our people are our most you know. Let me tell you, our people are our most important asset because our customers are only going to be served as well as our people and we care about, right? That's what you're going, everyone's going to say. When you peel back the onion, do you make decisions that reflect that value, right? If you're in a situation where a manager quits and you need to fill that manager's position, are you going to promote and put somebody into that position when they're not really ready because you're opening another restaurant somewhere else well if you do that you might say your people your most important asset but you just didn't you didn't act that way yeah and so i think that um um over time it's those little decisions in the background that add up to being more powerful than yeah, the and then, stuff you said. And then actions being louder than words right. is like the only thing I was right. thinking that I, I 100% agree. 100% agree with what you're dropping on us right now. So, I mean, I, I do you mind if I no, jump into chop? Like going. sometimes I got to jump to chop because no. I do think it's relevant where we got like, we, we have, you know, we have probably about a half dozen, maybe six, seven or eight people who um, worked in the first restaurant who are still working with the company 18 years later. Wow. Right. And so when you have, so if you think about that, right, and like what are all the decisions that had to happen over the course of 18 years right, to end up with that result, mm-hmm. right? And it's and, and certainly not my giving quotes in magazines that people are our most important asset, right? That's yeah. not how you, you I get love there. It. I love it. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to dive into Chopped. Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how Cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for Cake Point of Sale. But you have to use my links. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And... uh 
I, I've been chomping at the bit to get in the chop. You're clearly chomping at the bit to get in the chop, <laughs> which is good because that's what we're here to talk about today. And I, I just wanted to use the first restaurant that you were a part of as a case study, right? To compare, totally. Right? And I think we kind of, we've, we've dug it into it. We've, we've set the example. Um, now going into chop. So why did you leave? First, I'm kind of curious. Why did you leave um, Xando? Uh, yeah. Coffee and bar. Zando. 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 Not uh, so. It, uh, uh, short answer. A long time. Short answer is it was time. Mm-hmm. Uh, second answer is you know the company had gone public and it was not. Uh, we it did so in not outstanding fashion and uh, and and it was. Uh, I won't go through every piece of detail unless you force me to. <laughs> but um, it was sort of time for the founders to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some left sooner than others. I you know I, I hung around to sort of help the transition a little bit and then. Um, uh, I had been there 10 years. It had, you know, the company had moved to a place where this was no longer an inspiring, passionate growth opportunity. And to be honest, I was like, I've learned a lot. <laughs> right? Like I've just been through like a crash course in some pretty painful learning. Yeah. It would be awesome if I could Help figure out a way to apply those, figure things, out a way right? to apply that. Yeah, learning. absolutely. I right? bet. So how did you discover chop? When, at what point on this timeline did you discover them? Were you still with Zando? No, I was. I had left. Um, I had gotten together with, with 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 a group of investors who, um, and my 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 short pitch to those investors was, we just totally made a mess of this for the past ten years. Let me give you a list of the things that I think I learned and I would do differently. Oh my God, I'm just as a as right? somebody who was like a restaurant owner who's opening their business, thinking about scaling, and they have that opportunity. Somebody who just went through this for the past ten years to fall on your lap and say, "Look at what I did wrong. Right. Let me help you not do these things." Right? That'd be like a godsend. So. Um, so I had gotten a, a, few, a group of investors who thought that uh, that could make pretty good sense. Um, and then I got lucky. A guy who had worked with me, um, right, uh, in my previous experience, had just gotten hired by Tony Schur and Colin McCabe to be their first head of operations as they were opening their second restaurant. And um, he, uh, they, 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 uh, I don't know, it was his third day on the job or whatever, but there was literally chopped to just open up 56th street and there was a line out the door and down the block. And he took a picture of, he t- it was, this was a lot of years ago, but he took a picture and sent it to me and he was like, you better, you better come check this out. <laughs> and, uh, uh, which I did. And I thought it was awesome. And, uh, I thought Tony and Colin were awesome. And, uh, this is the second location this yeah. is happening at right yeah, now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this was 2005. I, I, let's talk to the, the character of Tony and Colin real quick. Um, how, who, who were they? Talk about who they were in best. What, yeah. yeah. So best friends in college, uh, had grown up in New York together, uh, ended up at, uh, the, uni- went to the university of Wisconsin and, um, they are classic entrepreneurial at the time, young guys, still younger than me, but not quite as young. Um, and, uh, as the sort of legend has it, they were, uh, they're in Wisconsin, and the only place they could find to eat a salad was at the, the salad bar at the local Pizza Hut. Okay. And so they were eating that probably partially frozen food, and they were like, there's got to be a better answer than yeah. this. So they did the, uh, they did the, uh, the typical post-college uh, tour around the country, see what else was out there, yeah. develop a whole bunch of ideas, and then they came home to New York, and they opened the first Chopped. Okay, uh, which was in 1990, sorry, 2001. 2001. In uh, 2004 is when you came on scene, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, what about the, their character and uh, their values and what they were trying to do in their business that appealed to you? So um, that is a good question because I, I, I think um, uh, there are two, over the course of my 
post Zando and, and you know, my, my, the course of the other businesses I've been involved in, there are sort of two groups of restaurant entrepreneurs. Um, and the, the first group, which I will uh, make fun of a little bit, is, uh, is like, I'm on the 30 under 30 list and here's how much money I've raised and this famous person is involved in my restaurant and I'm going to have 500 units in the next three years, right? And that's, that's a business plan that, based on my own personal experience, I try to stay away from. <laughs> and the other, the other set of entrepreneurs is somebody who is maniacally focused in, in I guess the, the summary would be like one customer, one salad at a time, right? Like we want to have the best product. We're going to do what we got to do within these four walls. We're going to make sure every guest is satisfied. And we have a, you know, we have a level of creativity and care around the product that we're serving. Yeah. And you, like, if it's like the adage on training people, like you, you can't teach that part, right? Mm. Like that has to be Tony and Colin have been so maniacally passionate about the quality and the creativity of what uh, gets done at shop yeah. to this day that like that that to me that was sort of the raw material that could be worked with really well. I love what you share with us. When I the words I like to put to what you share with us are there's the people that put the energy out and yeah. try to expand and go out and explode, and then there's yeah. the people that put the energy in yeah. and put and grow inward, and they put the the energy into their roots, right? And and totally. staying power, and that's how I my mind handles that kind of uh, analogy. That's right on, awesome. Um, so we're, we've spoken to their character. What about strengths and weaknesses? I mean, do they offset you at all? I mean, I, I don't know because you're the CEO. You're not necessarily a partner. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Um, so. So I think I think from a business perspective, um, the the answer is we went on a we went on a I think a pretty uh, natural progression, right? Of like how I, first I got involved as an investor, and there, there's no CEO for two restaurants, and they had already hired the guy who I knew was the best operator, who I would have I would have brought in there, so yeah. they had done that sort of totally right. Um, and so um, um, I was very involved in the early days on continuing to make sure that they were financed correctly very involved in the growth strategy, how and when we would open new restaurants and making sure we were sort of ready to do it. And then I was involved in the hiring, right? Because I had, you know, again, I had done it poorly for sure, but I had hired multiple people at all, in every department of director level and VP level and C whatever level, right? So I, I, I had, uh, I think I had an understanding of who were the different people we would need on the team. And I had some of that visibility that they didn't have. So I, I was involved in that and they, continue to make sure we were selling the best salad around. So one thing I'm curious about, um, well, I definitely want to get into how and when to know to scale, but I just want to highlight, um, Tony and Colin real quick in their, their, uh, some people are afraid to give up the, the CEO role. Yeah. Right? I yeah. think it says a lot about somebody's emotional intelligence and pride to be able to say, you know what? Like, that's not me. Like I want to put my energy into this. This is what I like to do. We need, we need to, 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 to be willing to bring somebody else on who's strong where you're weak and having that, that self-awareness to know that you should bring somebody else on is a very powerful thing. Do you want to dive into that? Uh, yeah, I would. I, I, I am passionate about that also. I would tell you that there is, I've, and I've, again, I've experienced different entrepreneurs in different places. I don't think, I, I don't know anybody. I don't know that I've ever met anybody else who has, uh, with such you know, I with feel like we need to ambulance. give a context to the listeners at home. We are in New York City on site. Uh, we are on the corner of, About I think, 29th what, 20th and 5th. 29th yeah. and 5th. And this is just a typical New York day, I guess. So There's actually so far been fewer, fewer ambulance than I would have anticipated <laughs> rolling through. Hopefully everybody is okay. So uh, if you can pick up your train of thought. Yeah, uh, yeah, so my train of thought was, uh, uh, I think that um, the... 
one of the other things that investors talk about a lot is that sort of that transition from entrepreneurial to professional management, right? And that is a that is a that is a delicate act that can only be accomplished if both sides, both parts are 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 trying to do it well. And I think that probably one of the greatest um, keys to the success of Chopped um, has been the smoothness or the effectiveness or the naturalness, whatever you want to choose it, that at the right time, I, I think that, I think that one, one of the strengths of the company has been the effectiveness with which that has happened. And the only way that that can happen effectively is with their, I think, level of confidence in themselves and, and what they can continue to, uh, you know, uh, bring to the table. I just need to, to lean yeah. into that because you What's that? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, um, and, and I think when people think about bringing somebody else on, it's they, they're afraid that others are going to think that they're not confident in what they're doing. Yeah. The opposite, the opposite is true. Totally. You, if you are willing to bring somebody on, it's because you are confident in what you can do and you know what you shouldn't be doing. And that level of self-confidence is so powerful and it's a complete opposite. So if that's yeah. been a thought in your head and you're listening to this, like throw that up, you know, out the window because it's not going to serve you. Pick up your train of thought. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I think that... Um, it has been it, it's been a it, it's been a great natural evolution at the different times of the company, right? Like it wasn't like day one we said, okay, these are going to be the new rules, right? It was like, oh, when we have four when we have four restaurants, it kind of needs to work like this, and when we have fourteen, now it kind of works like this, right? And now you know at sixty, it's in it's in a new place, but it has been um, uh, it's been I, I think that's been an important part of our success. And I mean, like these these are guys who I've worked with every day for the past you know, 12, 13 years now, they, they are truly, uh, you know, my, my best friends and people. We, I think that they've, I'll tell you this, they, they started in interviews and stuff. They started referring to me as their partner long before I started, you know, saying that. That's huge. Uh, so they hired you, um, primarily and correct me if I'm wrong to help them with knowing how to and when to scale. Yes. Let's spend most of today's conversation on how to and when to scale. Talk to, yeah. in using uh, Chopped as a case study, like how to and when to scale. How did you know it was time to scale with Chopped? So I, I think that um, there are. Uh, it's funny. The um, when I, in my first life, it was about the number of units, and I viewed the world in terms of the number of units that we had, right? Um, and I, I think that that kind of got thrown out the window, right? It wasn't like. I have to have this certain number or my business plan has to have this number or my favorite joke is like, it's very easy to build restaurants in an Excel spreadsheet. You just change the number like, Oh, we're going to build 12 next year, 14 just change. Right. So, and that's not really how it works out in life. So, um, I think for us, it's, it was, it was really a combination of, you know, the, the, the two most important factors were sort of the, uh, um, the quality of the, you know, the people and the quality of the execution and the profitability, Right, um, we are, we are again. We are certainly in a business where there are some improvements to your profitability as you grow, but not. Uh, it's not like things change enormously overnight just because you get to a certain size. So, if you are going to be, if you are going to grow, it is. It would be wise to grow something that is making money. <laughs> so I want to make sure. I, I want to summarize the big thing I took out of that is we tend to have a number. We're, Humans have this way of saying, I want to get X yeah. amount of restaurants open in X amount of time. And you're saying, get the numbers out of your head and focus on uh, the, the, the people and the profitability. Yeah. Are you, does the customer want you to build more restaurants? You know, are you like, you got lines out the door and you're making money and you got a whole bunch of people who are doing a good job executing what you want to execute. Okay. Open another restaurant. And I, and I think that 
you know, there's something else I used to say in the early days because you, uh, and a lot of times I apologize as I'm talking, but I'll refer to things that people were saying to us that I thought was wrong because I had done it incorrectly already, right? Which was one of the typical investor pitches. Oh, you have to prove the con. You have to prove. Well, you have two here in New York. You have to prove it's going to work in the suburbs. You have to prove it's going to work. Ooh, I got something to add on to that, but finish your thought. You don't have to prove anything. You know, you got to prove, you got to prove the next restaurant you open makes money also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Well, I was going to say people also invest in people. They don't invest in ideas. They yes. invest in the character and the people behind it. And when you look at, I've spoken to now over 600 successful restaurateurs and the, when they're getting money, isn't in the vision. They're getting money from people because people know, like, and trust them. That's where you'll get your money to get started people because of the character you have and the reputation you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you're opening your first restaurant, I often tell people that, uh, if you wanted to make a short list of, of investors to target, you should, you should target people who have the same last name that you do. Cause that's pretty much when you, if you have no experience, that's, those are the people who are going to take a leap on yeah, you to exactly. open a restaurant. Then from there, you can maybe get out to friends. friends and, <laughs> <some> <laughs> fools, right? You can get a little <laughs> bit further, but, um, but somewhere along the line, you said certainly you are going to, you know, the, the investor world of being interested in the team never goes away. But uh, as you grow, certainly the core economics of the, of the, of the, of the business model, of the restaurant model, um, become more and more important. So I made some notes here. The, the two things I think we need to focus on, <clears throat> um, you don't focus on the numbers, focus on the people, focus on the profitability. Yeah. Let's focus on um, the, the people element. Uh, you said customers. I'm assuming we're talking about the employees too. Mm-hmm. When do we know it's time to scale with that vertical, talking about people? Right. So um, I think that goes back to what you, you said before, right? If you were running a healthy organization, and, and any of us who've been involved in the restaurant industry, we've seen healthy organizations and not healthy organizations. So you think about things like turnover, and, and I don't have a specific number in mind again, but like you're either running a place where people want to work and they stay, and they're looking for their next opportunity, or you're running a revolving door, right? And so um, when you think about people, you I think the question, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. Are you creating an environment where you're getting a level of stability that allows you to responsibly think, oh, I can open another restaurant now? So right? you're talking about if you were to leave tomorrow to go on vacation or somebody passes away or whatever reason, you have to remove yourself from the business, will the business continue to run? If you reach that point, sure. that's an indication you might be ready for number two. Sure. And how do you do that? How do you get? How do you, how do you, do you get to that point? So that's funny. Um, I uh, when I when I uh, this is a little bit of a, a side story, right? But um, when I when I was looking to invest, when I was looking to invest in restaurants, one of the things I used to say was I would I would invest in a concept that had two restaurants. I wouldn't invest in in, in a concept that only had one, right? And two is pretty early the curve, but like. All you prove it to was that you were able to get out of the first exactly. one and it, can, and it didn't yeah. it didn't fall down yeah. and you're able to open a second one. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, that goes back to the things you were talking about in terms of trust and making good decisions about people. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the key from, the, you know, from the seat we sit in now is each time, each time you look to open another restaurant, you can either make it easier on yourself or you can make it harder on yourself. The first half dozen chop locations that we opened. And this was, again, this was having opened in New York, Philadelphia, Washington, all at the same time was let's just open in New York, right? It worked. There's lines out the door. Let's open another one just like it. Similar audience, similar, you know, similar location, similar day part. We're, we feel great. We think it's awesome. It's not so awesome that we should start messing around with the formula. Let's try to just replicate the success that we've had. And I think that, I think that, you know, if there were, if there was another like 
you know, make believe thing that I've heard from, from, uh, you know, entrepreneurs at different times. It's like, Oh, we opened this in New York city. It's awesome. We're serving lunch to all these business people. We're doing so great. We're opening the next one in my college town. <laughs> right. And like, well, why are you going to do that? Right. You're now you've, you've just added a whole, you've added two elements of risk into the picture. Cause you're going to go, you're actually going to do this in a different real estate paradigm, which means there's different people with different needs and, and you're going to do it in a different location, which means you actually have to, you have to manage more than five blocks from here. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, so you've added two elements, two degrees of difficulty that you don't need to introduce right now. Mm. And I think that that, um, I think that's where, you know, if you go back to, to some of the stuff I was saying earlier, like you got, you could, it can be your vision that you're going to have restaurants throughout the whole country. Right. That's great. That can be, that should be your vision. That doesn't mean the second one should be 1400 miles away from the first one. Yeah. And I think people, they, they, people, it's good to have a vision. It's good to have a vision, but I think people are unrealistic about the time it takes to achieve the vision. Uh, and these restaurants that are, have been around that to, to see 200 restaurants uh, in, in total, right. Have been around for, they didn't get there overnight. They got 100%. there. Usually it takes 10, 20 years to get yep. to that point. My two favorite examples right now, look at Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. right? Chick-fil-A is a massive nationwide explosive success right now. Mm-hmm. I, they, uh, I don't know off the top of my head when they were actually on it, but they were, they were a Southeastern concept mm-hmm. for I'm sure 25 years, right? Like they built a, a great degree of density. They got to be a big organization before leaving kind of a quarter, you know, one, one corner of the country. Um, and I think that's instructive. I think you think back to remember how, you know, in and out burger, right? Like obviously the whole burger world exploded on us, but, but that was a brand that became known in New York, even though they only had restaurants on the, on the West coast. And it was, I mean, it, I think to this day, like it was, it dominant, dominated and penetrated a core area and had a lot of restaurants before, uh, you know, before starting to really sort of spread out through the rest of the West yeah. Coast. I think we've we've focused good on the people. We talked a lot about growing your people, uh, customers a little bit. And the other thing you mentioned is focusing on profitability, letting profitability determine your growth. What do you mean by that? Um, I think that, uh, so I, th- I think it's important to understand the core characteristics of the business that you're in, right? And again, the restaurant business is uh, unforgiving to some degree. It is not a super high margin business. Um, and it is, it is not a business that wants to scale easily, right? Um, yes, uh, as you get bigger, you get some leverage in purchasing, right? And yes, if you hire a team and you have G&A overhead over your restaurants, as you build restaurants, that can get leveraged. But every time you open a restaurant, you have, you get a, it is going to cost you a bunch of money to open that restaurant and you need to, you need to earn a return on that money. And if you don't, you're going to run out of people who want to give you money to open more restaurants. Right? So simply to, put, avoid debt. Now, it's not just to avoid debt. It's, it's, you you got to have a profitable... I mean, one of the things that have been super important to CHOP since day one was that we were going to not only have profitable restaurants that people would find as attractive investments, but that we were going to have a profitable company. So we've made money as a company from the beginning. And the reason we want to do that is so that when we do raise money, be it be it equity from investors or debt that that money is going to building more restaurants, not, not to paying, paying off, off our losses, mm. right? And if you're building Facebook and someday you're going to be worth like $90 skillion, right, <laughs> overnight, then it's okay if you rack up some losses <laughs> along yeah. the way. But it, there are very few restaurant companies that have that kind of steepness to the curve that you can afford to 
lose a whole bunch of money for a while and assume you're going to pay it back later. We've covered a lot already up to this point, um, but I'm going to let you kind of decide what we should talk about next regarding CHOP, anything that CHOP does really well that's worth bringing to the table and contributing to the conversation. So up to you to go in whatever direction you want to go in. You know, I think I think there's there's a couple of things that I think that um, um, have uh, uh, at the con- so I, I would I would I would talk about maybe one thing at the concept level and one thing at Go the at the corporate level at the concept level. You know, the um, chopped was early to the idea of customization. Right, there are 60 ingredients on the line. There are 20 different dressings. We we certainly bring forward. Here's a whole bunch of ideas of what we think the best salads could be, and usually people start off there. But we allow for a tremendous amount of exploration. And um, I think that what, what we've tried to do is make that not just, a, not just a product thing, but almost an experience thing, right? There is the interaction with the person who's serving you. There is the idea of chopping. There is how much dressing you're going to want. We want the experience to almost achieve um, like a boutique-y kind of bespoke experience. Like this is your salad. How do you achieve that? Um, it's through all it – is, it is – it is uh, at the top of the pyramid. It would be by talking about that to everybody in the company all the time. <laughs> the repetition, right? Um, and then I think it's thinking through the different decisions that you make, right? Even when we roll out um, a new product line or a new product, uh, I always joke we will spend we'll spend literally months when we are developing our seasonal ingredients, and we will go and we'll you know our 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 storyline is we will be inspired by you know by a specific location or a specific culture and we will go and we will taste a bunch of ingredients that are unique to that region and we'll try to compose salads from them we'll spend like three months doing this and um tony and colin of course still massively involved in like the selection of the specific type of you know spicy pepper that we're using whatever and we will craft what we believe are these perfect salads and we'll put them in the restaurant on day one and then we'll go into the restaurant and and Everyone's customizing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> including including ourselves. We don't like on day one. We're already making up different stuff from what we. Right? And so the beauty of that is like we think we're giving you a pretty good starting point. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but um, there's just the, the the level of detail that we go to about this product is I, I think you know if Tony and Colin were here they would say the food's actually better today than it was 18 years ago. Uh, you know, and um, are there are there any things your employees are doing to make it more of an experience to highlight the, these unique selling propositions of customization and to really put those under a spotlight? So we have we have sort of a special training program. The one person in the restaurant who is uh, super everyone in the restaurant is super important. But the one position that is relevant to this conversation is we have a hospitality manager, right? And it is just trying to bridge that gap. The world of what is called fast casual these days is 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 really that's a term that the 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 uh, you know the investment analysts made up like twenty years ago to you I know think Paul Barron coined the term specifically it's very, it, like it, it is it is <laughs> I unfortunately am old enough to have a claim that I was in the room the first time it was used <laughs> so I'm, I'm not even going to go there but um, fastcasual.com but uh, <laughs> I would give it yeah I um, uh, we could talk about it offline <laughs> but um, um, I always say like there's no, nobody sits at their desk and is like oh should I go to a fast food restaurant today or a fast casual restaurant today right like I don't think there's a, there's not a tremendous amount of resonance to the customer as to what that means to us we believe that we are providing a better product than historically has been provided by fast food and so we've looked for opportunities to elevate the experience yeah. a little bit and so the the best way the most successful way we've had with that in restaurant and we can talk about digital all you want but um 
has been to make sure that there was somebody who kind of took from the idea of a you know of of um, a, a a manager on the floor in a full service restaurant to make sure that people understand what's going on, know the process. I think the evolution of the fast casual now they're calling it uh, you're seeing it come up time and time again in fine casual, yes. right? Where it's like that level of uh, that high touch yes. where you're going to fill waters, you're going to you know you're going to clear tables and you're yep. going to be proactive, you're going to touch tables, and it's kind of meeting it's meeting the it's connecting the, the fine dining and yeah. the, the fast casual worlds. And you're seeing it with companies like, um, uh, 11 Madison park there. Um, yep. Uh, with their care. Let me ask you a question. Like kind, what, what is it? Kind? What is it? How do what it, how, what does it mean to you as a customer? Right? Like, do you go, do you go in? What, what, what do you, what do you notice about the different quick serve well, environments? What do I notice? This, yeah. I mean, it's you just a number. It's like next, yeah. you know, next, yeah. next. And it's a transaction, but they're yeah. trying to, uh, these, these, I think what you're trying to ask is like in these fine casual uh, atmospheres, there's still that high touch, that that relationship that they're putting yep. there, uh, having somebody who's consistently in front of the house touching tables and that yep. element. Yep. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, look at Mendocino Farms in Los Angeles. We're right in there, cool. This is kind of I was hoping we would. Did you, ha, yeah. Have you been? Have you ever been to Mendocino I've Farms? I've not been out there. I'm going to be out west this year. I hope to. Make you got to go. Visit. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most creative concepts in the in the industry, right? And the founders uh, who are you know uh, obviously Past close friends of mine. Show. Yeah, they, they're future guests. Um, Past guests. Oh, they oh yeah, they've been yeah. on the show. Um, the what's the owner's name? Is it, Mario. Is it Mario. Thank you. Yeah, Mario Zaporo, right? Oh, I got to come yeah. up with somebody different to recommend <laughs> to you. Then. That's a wrap. I'm sure you know plenty of people. Mario's a genius. Ellen's a genius. They they um uh I think I think that their level of creativity in this industry is 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 above and beyond anything anything else I've I've seen and. And they've taken, I think they've taken the idea of hospitality and how uh, you interact with your guests to a whole different level. Um, and I think it's, um, um, uh, one of the things I always say is like all the elements of your strategy have to be in sync with each other, right? They have, uh, they've got a broader menu, they're serving more day parts, they've got, right, like they've got a whole bunch of different elements of their product line and what they do that make people want to be there and stay longer. And so elevating the hospitality in that environment. And then also the level of creativity that they build into their restaurants, um, it all meshes together nicely. I don't think you can kind of take one element and, uh, you know, like yeah. it's not, it's not plug and play. I'm sure they're going to come back into the conversation later. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, there's two things you want to talk about. You want to talk about the custom, uh, custom ability, uh, or customability, customization, customization, Jesus, yeah. I'm all over the place. That's customization. Right. And what was the other variable or the other God, who, topic you can, want to bring to the table? God knows if I can remember. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, look, we, we, um, there's a little bit back on people. Um, we have, uh, the, the team, the executive team that runs chop, um, on average has been with the company for over 10 years now. Um, and I think that we are, we are playing an environment, you know, all businesses are competitive. All small businesses are, excuse me, need, need, need every leg up and advantage that they can get. And the degree of, um, uh, ability to execute smoothly and swiftly, the, uh, the, the ability to get to better answers because you're comfortable challenging each other and you can actually disagree effectively. Um, those are things that are really helped by being around a bunch of people for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about what my experience was at um, uh, right back in the Xander days, we talked about to sort of tie the lessons from the past. Our, theor- our strategy there was hire senior vice presidents from big companies. And... Um, and that worked so poorly um, because, A, they knew how to re- run big companies. They didn't know how to run small companies, right? And, B, 
they came imbued with the culture of the environment that they were just at. And it was like, just they're trying, putting, to, they're trying to reconstruct, recreate their old, right. And so somebody, so didn't work at all. And so at, at chopped, we, you know, we've really been successful at, at, um, at, at bringing in team members. And this is now going back 10 years who were, who were at the director level, right. Or at the senior manager level who had, had gotten down the road, had experience in their specific area, but had a lot of growth uh, right ahead of them. And they and 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 having been together for as long as we have, um, the culture has developed through that group of people. And um, I think that as we've um, you know look we've we've been I've been doing this at, at shop for twelve years. We have uh, thankfully had mostly good years. We. It's a hard business. I can, yeah. we get, you know, it's not like it's not without challenge. Yeah. Um, and um, I think we've been pretty effective at, at sort of responding to changes in the industry and responding to some of those setbacks along yeah. the way. Um, I mean, there's so much we could talk about uh, in the time we have left. Uh, I think you are a very unique individual. <laughs> For me, as far as a guest on the show, you're a CEO. I usually speak to owners, restaurateurs. Um, and what's unique with your story and what you got going on is you're also a director for multiple restaurants, multiple yes. corporations. And I think that's a very unique, I mean, I don't even know how we bring this into the conversation, but it's something I haven't seen yet. I mean, you're a director for Mendocino Farms, uh, yep. which you, you mentioned. You're a director, at maybe maybe not currently, but at yep. one point, yep. Quiznos, yep. Uh, Del Toro, um, I mentioned it in the introduction. Dos Toros. Del Toros, yes, yep. and uh, Boloco. Yeah. So how does that work? Is there conflicts of interest? Is there like, how do you manage those relationships? <laughs> so it's uh, funny. So currently, so, so, so my mo, I, I, I would, I would sort of focus in on the two relationships that have been, been the most significant and where I've been the most active. And that was for sure. I was the first investor. That was first like outside investor in Mendocino farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on the, I was a director there until just last year. Right. And they, um, um, and, and then Dos Toros, I was, uh, with a group of folks, the, the first outside investor, like outside the family investor in that company and, uh, remain a director there. And, um, no, if there are any conflicts of interest, as I like to say, this industry is hard enough. We got to all help each other. Yeah. We that's got the enough, mentality. You got enough have. problems out there, I'm man. S- I'm so happy you've said right? that because it, I've noticed that the, within we're speaking to restaurant tours in a community. You have people who own different restaurants in the community. It's the ones that are most successful who don't look at the other restaurants as competition, but as colleagues and they get together and they talk and they say, what are you, what are your challenges? What's your solution? And and don't look at people in your community as competition. Look at them as colleagues, mastermind with them, share knowledge, get together, be a support group. You will come out on top together. Uh, And, and I I don't know. So a hundred percent it is. I mean, it is, to throw some numbers at you, I think it is now a $500 billion industry. If you take everybody in fast casual, right? Like all of us. And, um, uh, I don't know. Are there 400 restaurants? You know what I mean? Like, like it, 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 the, the whole world of fast casual, everybody I named and everybody here, like we're probably roughly equal to the number of restaurants that Taco Bell is going to open this year. Yeah. Right. So you're not really competing just against each other. You're really as a group trying to evolve how people think about food, think about quick service food, think about the quality of food that they want to put in their body. And so I, I think that a hundred percent, my view has been like, yeah, like, like let's work on this together where we can. Um, and, 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 and certainly a component of making those investments was to be, uh, was, was to find like-minded people. Right. And so fun part of the story was right. Like when I was looking to invest in Mendocino, I had been with shop for about three years 
And so, you know, think about it. You're Mario Del Paro, Del Paro and I'm telling him uh, I'm a great guy. And so who does he want to talk to? He wants to talk to Tony Collins, yeah. find out right, exactly what's going on. And so that relationship got established early. And then Mario and Ellen would come out here and we would tour together and spend time together. And Tony and Colin, we'd go out there and we'd tour with Mario and Ellen. And, and um, um, uh, we would actually functionally you know, try to help like share, we would share everything. Um, and so that was, that was great. Um, same with, uh, Leo and Oliver at Dos Toros, right? Those uh, two, again, two young guys, brothers had this concept. They were from California. It wasn't a real sort of San Francisco Bay area, Taqueria in New York city. They opened up on, on fourth Avenue, which happened to be like two blocks from the chopped office. And Tony introduced me to it and, and, you know, we, we became friends and I knew those guys for, I don't know, eight years, six, seven, eight years before, ultimately becoming an, an investor. Um, and uh, the good news for everybody else now is since I'm telling you all this stuff on, on your show, like I, I actually, uh, I'm giving, I'm, 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 I'm making myself obsolete in the uh, advice that I can offer to people because <laughs> <laughs> this is all the kind of stuff that we talk about, yeah. right? Like these are great concepts. These were great founders. This is, you know, the food is great. The, the pieces are there. How do you not screw it up when you grow and I think that you need a level, you know, what, what I can ask or what I can, what I can bring to the table uh, are certainly some of the lessons around growth, around hiring out, raising money, about discipline, about, about you know, capturing your entrepreneurial enthusiasm, but applying it with some level of rigor. Um, but you need founders who come with, with, uh, with, with enough lack of ego that they, that they, they want to listen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so with, with, in each of these cases, it's, it's been pretty awesome experience. Nick, I've loved this conversation. It's been a blast. Um, it's crazy to think we're already starting to get close to wrapping up. Uh, the reason why I wanted to bring that to the surface is, that, is sure. because I think that a lot of people get tunnel vision when they get into this industry of like, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm open my, I'll go work for somebody, then I'll open my own restaurant, then I'll be a restaurateur. And there's just so many different verticals and it's all relative, right? So I wanted to use you as an example for relativity that sure. you know, there are other verticals. You can, you can be a CEO and a director and an, and an, and an investor in multiple groups and, and, but you have to have that mentality of, a, of the, that, that we mentality, you know, not the, not me versus you, but there's just so many possibilities. I just wanted to use you as an example of that. Um, anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to bring to the conversation, bring to the table to add value before we go to the speed round? Seems impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so one last question. Uh, this is something I want to ask all my guests going forward. And the mission statement is to, to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So let me know, how have you transformed from that, that man you were back in 1994 to the man you are today? How have you transformed? Uh, that was a lot of years, right? So that's uh, <laughs> that was a little tricky. Um, I, I do have one. Uh, I think um, I tell this story to people sometimes. My 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 perspective on management uh, ten years ago would be like I would have somebody in my office and I would give them a list of things to do, and then they would leave, and then I would wait like four minutes, and then I would start working on their list because I could like I just thought I had to do it myself, yeah. right? And um, I think for 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 me. Um, it's really been about understanding the same thing that I look for in Tony and Colin and Mario. It's like, who are the people who are going to help me and do it better than I can do it? Mm. Right. And, and, and certainly again, to go to the early years, I was, I, I actually proved to be so painfully bad at so many actual specific components of it. It was easy to believe that, there was a better operator than me. There was a better <laughs> finance guy than me. Right? I love this conversation. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. 
Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable it's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. So uh, we have an easy saying for this one. Tell the truth. Mm. That's huge. Tell the truth. Whatever situation you're in, it's always going to come back around. That's going to be the best way to, to answer a question. There's this book out there by Stephen R. Covey's son. I can't remember what his son's initial, middle initial is, but it's called The Speed of Truth. It's a great book. Uh, you could, anybody listening to this should check that out. Uh, what is your biggest uh, weakness? My biggest weakness right now I call the slow no, right? I, my entrepreneurial, I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a silver lining, but my entrepreneurial tendency is like, I like to see ideas develop and cultivate. I kind of want to <laughs> see yeah. where people are going with stuff. That sounds great when I'm telling it to you here, but if at the end of the day, I'm actually going to say no to you for two weeks, it gets frustrating to people when they did a whole bunch of work on stuff and then <laughs> I just said no later. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building teams? So my number one, so, so my number one interview question, right, is... Um, is not actually teamwork related. My number one interview question is, tell me specifically your personal system of organization. What are you looking for? So there's, there, are, there, I've found in my career, there are, there are absolutely, there are two answers you get to that question. One is a look of bewilderment that anyone would ask you that question in an interview and how could I possibly be asking a senior level person about their organization system? And the second is somebody immediately launches into a story about how their like boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever, makes fun of them because they've got like 12 different color pencils and like three different <laughs> notebooks and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the restaurant business is an execution business at the end of the day. And I think that anything you're doing, whether, whether we're talking about restaurant managers, uh, you know, HQ employees, executive team, whatever it's, there has to be a level of discipline and organization as to how you approach your day to sort of fit 
and, and, and be an effective leader in this business. I love it. What is your biggest challenge today? Biggest challenge today is, and this is going to sound funny coming from a fast casual CEO. I think the industry is massively overinvested, massively overdeveloped, um, uh, uh, overly dominant on the, on the coasts and in urban locations and not necessarily spread through the country. So I think the whole framework of what is going on might be in need of sort of reorganization. So operating through that and staying focused on what we want to do, um, with, with, with the noise that that creates and keeping the team focused on what we believe the future looks like, uh, that's, the, that's the biggest challenge right Great. now. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, a core value perhaps. So number one thing you got to do to work at shop, and there's a bunch we talk, we talk, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, intelligence, we talk about organization, we talk about uh, work ethic and organization and planning, stuff like that. But the, the, the number one thing is I tell people, when someone on the team tells you something that really makes you angry, or if you ask somebody and they don't do it right then, I, I need you to assume positive intent, right? Like, don't assume the worst. As just like you went into somebody, and you're like, can you get me this report? And they're like, no, get the hell out of my office, right? Like, it's not that they hate you. It's not that they're trying to sabotage your career. Like, assume positive intent of the team that you're working with yes. and see where that brings and us. Where this has come up in the past in the show, and I love that you're bringing it up now, is uh, when, when people are late. I think the first thing that we yeah. think of when someone is late is that son of a, yeah. you know, like they're late. But the first thing you should be saying is, I hope they're okay. Yeah. And when you take that flip and you, and you worry and you, you assume the best, it's amazing how that energy will. Totally uh, changes the energy. Yeah. If you, if you think negativity, like you're just going to start a whole snowball effect thing. And, it, and you don't want yeah. that to happen. Sometimes I say to people, I should get the worst of you. <laughs> right? Like when you're in here, it's fine. Yeah. Curse me out. Yeah. Right? But when you're with a team, like. Be a part of the team. I love it. Uh, what is a one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guests. I got to go. Uh, sorry, but we, you know, it's it's the customization. It's like how do we think about every cust- individual customer as an individual? How do we think about every salad as being the perfect salad for that individual? How do we make the experience customized for that individual? <laughs> what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Okay, so this one I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Can I get? I'm gonna go a little uh, deep on this one with you Please. also, but so. My favorite book ever is East of Eden by okay. John Steinbeck, which I didn't actually remember until I was thinking about it, uh, is actually includes a major component of the story is lettuce being transported across the country <laughs> and, and the freezer going and like a person's life being destroyed because the, 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 uh, the, the lettuce spoils. Um, so it turns out that there actually is some relevance to that book to, to, uh, to a guy who's now a lettuce CEO. <laughs> but that's not what um, I actually, that's not the life lesson. Um, What's the lesson? The life lesson, and there's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole chapter and a debate on, 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 on the meaning of, of, of a word in the Bible. And the debate is whether it, it says that uh, uh, man shall be saved, right? And their, their determination is that the, that the word actually means man may be saved. And here's why that's important. You got. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to believe it's up to you. Mm. It's you got to believe that the power and the control and the free will and the opportunity to do things that, that we are not destined to the fate that we uh, that may or may not be coming at us. You got to believe you got some control over things. I love it. And uh, is that book an audible by any chance? I mean, I got no idea. It's pretty. It's, it's worth, pretty, fam- pretty famous book. It's worth checking out. <laughs> head over to restaurant. Oh, sorry. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable uh, to check out that book on Audible. If you're not an Audible listener yet, use that link. You can get the the book for free, and uh, it will be a game changer. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? 
uh, think about their real estate strategy, both at a macro level and a micro level. At some point, if you have a concept that is that people seem to like, the biggest determinant of your success, other than not screwing up the food going forward, is is where you build your next restaurant. I love it. And this is almost the last question. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the past? years that has had a huge impact on your operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Hard to do this in one sentence, but the strategy we took at Chopped a few years ago was that that, as opposed to initially focusing on the customer interfaces of all the different uh, ordering platforms, instead of building our web ordering, and we we built the back-of-house system first. So we built this system that would receive all the orders and the kitchen management system to produce those orders and the database so that we had the access to the data around those orders. And we built the sort of whole brains and central nervous system first. And that is now paying off in spades as, mm-hmm. we're, as we're starting to develop each of the in, in individual customer-facing So components. is that a custom? Um, yes, proprietor. Proprietary, okay. Nothing you can share with us? <laughs> Not at this time. <laughs> All right, this is the last question. It's yeah. a doozy. Get ready. Yeah, yeah. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? So the first would be um, um, don't let hard work be the only thing that comes in between you and your goals. Right. If you got a goal and it's just about the fact that there's going to be challenges and whatnot, just break it down one piece at a time and go after it. That's right? one. That's number one. Um, number two would be uh, uh, would be smart is good. Too smart can become a liability. <laughs> Don't let it be, get in the way of uh, decision making. What's right? number three? Uh, and number three is uh, this one is a little bit of a, a tongue twister, but um, I tell this to my kids all the time. Don't ever think you're better than anybody else. and Never let anybody tell you you're not as good as they are. I love it. This has been a great conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. I kind of uh, rained on your parade a little earlier. You're going to call out Mario Del Perro from, uh, is it Del Perro? Am I saying it correctly? Yeah. Uh, from Mendocino Farms. But you got anybody else? In- you got to meet Leo and Oliver from Dos Toros. All right. Leo and Oliver, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love <laughs> to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you Um the chop team or maybe LinkedIn or whatever. Um, if we have questions or if we want to come join the chop team. Yeah. Um, we're on all your, all your basic social channels. You can get to, you can get to me. I read everything that comes in through uh, support at chopsal.com on our website. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. So, uh, uh, would be would be uh, happy to hear from folks who think I said something good. I'll have the links in the show notes. This is episode 632. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 632. We'll have the summary of today's discussion. Again, the links, uh, books, anything mentioned over there. And again, Nick Marsh, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you very much. Cheers. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. 
C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.